Hello guys, I am Ricardo de la Blanca. During the last 20 years, I've been working in different parts of the world where I met very interesting people. People who accomplish what seems impossible. People who make mistakes. Fun and passionate people. People from whom we are going to learn what no school or university can teach. We're going to learn from leaders. Roger Lee, I'm so happy to have you in this group of interviews. My lovely Roger, um, I met this guy maybe five years ago, probably five or four, five years ago in Harvard. And uh, as I, when I met this guy in the, in, in the classroom, we were in the same study group. And I, I, it's exactly like, like you see, it's a nice person, we know, a normal teacher, and we were studying together. But I remember the day when we have the, the graduation day and he put a tie. I always remember that I say, oh my God, motherfucker, you're a real CEO. I remember when I saw you with the suit, I'm like, oh my God, he's a real CEO. So from this moment, we, we, we get uh, absolutely friends. And, and for many years, we have been uh, sharing this uh, YPO Harvard program that for me, and I think that all the members is fantastic. Um, and, and the success of Roger and the, the thing that he had done in his life for me are incredible. And this is why I asked Roger to please share his story because in this time where every single person is so negative, so thinking in how many die, how many people are, uh, the company is not going to make it. Oh my God, it's time to show the people that we really admire. They have been in really tough situations in the past. There is no free lunch in this life. There is just hard work. There are, there are just positive attitude that really makes real successful people. So Roger, thanks again. I love you. So tell us your story. Thank you, Ricardo. Happy to be here. Um, let me see. So let's, let's rewind back to, to the early days, right? When I was a child. Um, so I was born in US, but grew up in Malaysia and Hong Kong. And I remember during that time, my father basically was working and traveling all the time. Didn't see him much. Um, financially, I know he was quite tight um, and when I was a kid. It wasn't until later on that, that he became uh, more successful and, and, and more stable. So I was always growing up wor worrying, do we have enough money to survive as a family? Um, and then when I went to boarding school at 11, you know, my, obviously the financial side got a little bit easier for my father so he could send me to boarding school in England. Um, he told me three things. He said, when you graduate from university, you're cut off financially. So you gotta, you gotta be on your own. I'm not gonna give you a single dollar afterwards. Um, all the inheritance, all the money I make, okay, until I die, goes to charity. So don't expect that you're gonna get any handout. And the third thing he said was, don't come back to work in a family business. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so the business that he, 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 he worked in actually was, was not his. He, I mean, he's not, he's not a shareholder. He, it's his uh, cousin's business. It was considered a family business because, you know, they were cousins. Uh, they are cousins. Um, so that was it. So, so growing up, um, I knew I had to make it on my own. Um, I knew, readily speaking, I had an easy life in that... I didn't have to worry about school fees. When I went to university, I had no student loans. Um, but I was, I did finish my uh, education in London. So my, I did my master's in London. So I did bachelor's and master's straight away. 
um, because I know after bachelor's, if I don't study, continue studying, I'd be cut off anyway. So I better get as much education as I can get in um, before I get cut off. So I, I finished in London and I can still remember having nightmares, real nightmares, thinking like that. I woke up one day living in a dorm of 10 people back to, back to a, a, a childhood time because I had no money to live. So the only way to live in London was to, was, you know, it's expensive, right? Uh, was to live with a whole bunch of uh, people I don't know. So what I did was after graduating London, um, I moved to New York. So why New York? It's because my grandparents were living there in, in Flushing, New York, um, in a house that, has, that was, had not been renovated in probably 50 years by that time. Um, and I had free rent. My, my, my grandparents said, yeah, come stay with us, you know, live with us, you know, stay in the basement, no, no, no issue. Um, and those were the days when you only had dial-up internet, okay? No more than the dial-up internet. And I remember I went to the U.S. Since I was born in the U.S., I could live there. I could find a job, no need any visa. It was free. And I spent six months looking for my first job. Six months. I was very clear what I wanted to do, which was consulting. I felt that consulting, you, you would learn by working in different companies all the time. You, you would move around in different environments, and it was a challenge. Um, and I applied to all the big companies and all the small companies. And even like in a, at that time, it, were, it wasn't Accenture. It was Anderson Consulting. I applied to the Chicago office and the Boston office and the New York office. They, weren't, they didn't have a centralized recruiting at that time, so you could apply to many different offices. And I got to turn on time after time after time again. Um, I actually only got two interviews, if you can believe it, out of 100 letters that I sent out. Um, and the reason they always gave me was that, oh, you have a master's, but you, know, you don't have any work experience. So you can't come in in our structure and start at the beginning because you're, you're too experienced, but you can't come in the middle because you don't have any experience. So they're very structured in their, in their career path. Um, one one was interviews was McKinsey and McKinsey obviously was the number one consulting firm still is right in the world. I, I had did a terrible job at an interview and the only reason I got an interview was because I had asked my old um, uh, old old school in England. Um, one of the guys that used to go there was a McKinsey partner, so he got me an interview. That was it, right? And then and then second interview was actually the job I got in the end, um, which was which is an IT consulting company. And that was after six months of typing letters at that time. They were still typing, okay? I didn't have a computer to print that, that time. I was still typing letters. I remember mailing them and waiting for replies. So you got to wait for a couple of weeks before you get any reply if you do. And, my, and I got interviewed in Boston. So I, uh, I, I took a train up to Boston from New York, got a job, and I said, you're going to start in Connecticut. I said, okay. That's fine, never been there before. Um, so a week before I started, they said, come to New Haven. I said, okay, never been to New Haven, no idea what that place is. If any of you know, New Haven is where Yale University is. So I thought, great, must be a great town. I took the train up, I didn't want to take a taxi to the office, so I wanted to save the money. So I walked from the train station to the office, which is about half an hour, 40 minutes away. And I walked through this ghost town literally like in the movies down the main street where buildings were less than half occupied broken windows i mean it was like i was thinking to myself what did i get myself into 
and I can remember myself a little bit scared because I knew no one, knew no one in Connecticut. Okay, I just went in a week before just to meet my my future boss, just to say hi. My first job, didn't know what I was doing. Um, and that was probably one of the, the this just the biggest shock in my system at that age, anyway, um, of a change. Right, you go from everything's provided for your university to your grandparents' house, which they're still comfortable, you can't complain. And then to suddenly like you're going to middle of nowhere, no friends, nothing, and you're like walking through a ghost town. But well, well, you know, um, you know what, you know what, Roger, I believe uh, your father gave you the biggest gift in life exactly telling you that because otherwise imagine if they will tell you no i'm gonna pay you or relax you will never put your best so i i and you know what in my case my father did the same my father was the president of a big company that, that he owned and for as a kid i always thought like in fact i, I remember one time i asked daddy um of course i'm gonna be the president yes and he told me are you crazy the presence is going to be the more prepared person. If you are prepared, if you are really working hard, maybe. But it's going to be a competition, even not just within you, also your cousins. So, but I believe I also, I was like this. And I remember this was kind of up 12. So from 12 years old, I was super scared because also my cousin was one year older than me. And I said, oh no, I'm fucked. Because he's smart. One year <laughs> older, he's going to have more experience. Yeah. He's going to start before I'm dead. And, and but, but, but I believe this was one of the biggest gifts also in my case. I, I believe we as a fathers, we need, to do, we need to do in some way the same to our kids to teach them that, that, that they need to, you know, to in some way until the university and then do it yourself. It's, it's important. But, but please yeah. keep going. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think, you know, when I was at school, right, I was never top in class. And then you look at the people who are top in class and my God, how do they understand what's going on? How can they solve these complicated issues? They know exactly what teachers are asking for. They can answer everything perfectly in exam. And you're like, my God, the gap is so big between me and these people at the top. And, and one thing, you know, you realize afterwards is actually we're all the same. Really, the world is not as complex as we think. There's no subject in the world. Um, I'm not talking about the real technical scientific stuff, but it's no, there's no topic subject in the world that is mind-blowing difficult that only the rarest people could, could handle right not i'm talking about in general business sense i'm not talking about scientific discoveries um but at school you don't think about that you think oh my god you're so low below below the top of the class you're never going to make it never right you just think the gap so big um and so to me it was you know that I, that lowest point was when i started my first job i almost thought about quitting before i started and i told myself no we've got to try this You've waited for six months, done all these applications. You've got to, you've got to stick it out and see what You get the experience to open all the doors also. Yeah, but you don't think about that time. You're like, you're like a kid, right? You don't think, you, you know, now it's, you always say, stick it out. You've got experience. At that time, you don't think about that. You know, you don't think about yourself in that moment in time, how lonely you were, right? That, uh, how, that is, how, that, how old were you when you were in this, in this position in Boston? In, 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 I, I was, um, let me think, I was... 27, maybe, 25. No, 23. I want to say 23, 24. Wait, the, I love this point. This is another fact of all the leaders. They start very early. So they... they, yeah, they it was, it was straight, yeah. It's a huge advantage. I, I, did, I did master's straight away after bachelor's and straight out of 20, 
I want to say 2023, 20, 20, 20, around 23 at that time. Fantastic. So, so it was, you know, I really wanted to quit even before I started, but I, I grind through it. And then I have to say after that, um, it was readily speaking, a very good career. I got a lot of opportunities. Of course, we all had hard times. All had hard times. Um, living in a country that was foreign to me, even though I was born there, had to reestablish my friends. And really, my friends were people at work. I never went, I never had a lot of any friends outside of work because as a consultant, you might know, you're always in the plane, you're working 80 hours a week, right? You barely, basically, I just go home to do my laundry and then get ready for next week. There's really no time. Um, so, you know, after, after I did that for 10 years and then decided to, to take a break because same company 10 years, um, I had reached a gap, what I felt was a glass ceiling. Um, if I wanted to make it to the last level, the VP partner level, I would have to move to the headquarters in, in, in Virginia. And I looked up and say, out of the 200 people up there above me, the last level above me, only one Chinese. I just kind of felt there was a glass ceiling. Didn't feel there was, you know, that I could, I could make it even with hard work. I had to really go there and do the politics. So I just had a, you know, I had a good run, 10 years. Um, and then I decided, hey, you know what? I've been away from Hong Kong for 21 years. My, my parents live in Hong Kong. Well, why don't I go back to Asia at least and, and spend some time with them? So you never know what's going to happen. So I decided to go back and the company that I'm in now offered me a job without interview. So my, it's, it's the same company my father works in. And, and honestly, I was lazy. I, the, the experience, the first time of applying for jobs, when I came out of my master's traumatized me because I was like, am I good enough? Am I going to get a job that easily? Is it going to be another six months, you know? Financially, I was fine. I had saved up enough money. I was single, but just going through the whole process was, it's a trauma, it's a trauma to me. So I decided, no, just take the job. Just just go try for a year and see what happens. And I started in Malaysia, a um, place where I actually was living when I was a kid um, and worked in a factory for a year and a half. Um, and then, and then being quite fortunate from there, I moved back to Hong Kong, moved into sales, and then slowly moved up. And then the, the, the company decided I was going to take over the company. So you, you started sales in the, in, the, in the company that you're working right now? I started in manufacturing. I started in manufacturing in, in, in the factory. So I, was, I learned how to run sewing lines. I learned every single process in the factory. Um, and then I went across our factory. So I was in Malaysia, but I was traveling to Thailand. I was traveling to Indonesia. I even traveled to Mexico. We had a factory there at that time. Um, China, just different factories to, and I was working on process improvement, not knowing anything about the process. So that's why I had to learn the process before I can figure out what people are telling me are correct enough. Of course. So I learned the process and then just use techniques in terms of process improvement, six sigma techniques to, to help, help them understand how to take any problem and solve it. Um, so that's how I did it. Um, and, and from consulting, I learned that knowledge is king. The more you understand on every facet of the business, the better you'll be. So that's why I was happy to start manufacturing. That's why I was happy to go into sales. That's why I was happy to go to other different countries to learn. To me, knowledge is king, and that's something that today, to this day, I still think is true. Doesn't matter in what position you are in. The more you know, the more you learn, the better you are. I, I love. Um, I love. Let, let me let me put an accent there because I I am exactly in the same position and. And I believe exactly in the same way. I believe that we need to understand that this always learning, always improving is a must that we never can stop. We can afford. And I believe that 
Um, this was always like this, but in these days, I think it's even worse in these connection world connected. So it's impossible to not to keep learning and, and everything is so fast. The, everything is changing so much that again, you can, you know, so it's, it's simply, it's, it's a luxury that you can afford to, do not, to stop learning. I agree. And I love what you said also that you need to go deep in the process, not just, and you know what, something that even though I was not in consulting, since I have an agency, advertising agency, to really create a campaign or to really help the campaign to express the idea, I really need to go deep in the industry. And, and it's true. The more I know about the industry, the better I'm going to be to really advise them. This is the way to communicate the benefit of the brand. It's, it's absolutely the same. So I agree with you also. And I, and I also believe that at the end of the day, it's kind of a passion. During these days, Roger, in these meetings, oh my God, I feel that I, I did this to, to show others and make others learn. But I'm learning like crazy. With all these stories, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. Uh, and as, as, as well as in class, I believe that learning from friends and learning from stories is even more powerful than learning from just theory. So, and, and exactly, so in your case, so it's as simple as, come on, listen to you, see what you did and try to copy the path. I did a lot in these in this things in the past. I remember one of the, 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 my brother-in-law was kind of always one step ahead with us. And I was copying him a lot during my whole life. And, and this idea of these videos, try to, to copy best practices, but okay, but then you, you go back to Hong Kong and you, st you start, you already learn about manufacturing and then you start in selling. And then how, how, how was from this point? And then from selling, um, I moved into the CEO position and CEO, but I was inheriting a team that was uh, much older than me, um, past 60 years old, most of them ready to retire anytime. And we had a huge gap between that level and the next level. Um, and I remember for a year and a half, um, I was stuck um, between my, my father and, and my cousin who owns the company about allowing me to hire people from outside. Because traditionally, everyone has gone to the top from inside. And I said, I, you know, I've really spent a lot of time in the grassroots of the company, knowing people. And I just don't feel we have anyone ready today when you have a team that needs to retire today, that's past 60, that wants to retire today, to take over. And I think that was that was a, a struggle for a year and a half for them to say, yes, you can go outside and recruit. Um, because I understand. I mean, we have, you know, every, every company says they're unique, right? Every company says they have a unique culture that anyone doesn't understand from outside. So I absolutely agree with that. Um, but but if you don't try, you would, you would never get there. If you give up too easily, you'll never get there. So I think the key was when I brought the people in from outside, I gave them a three to six months orientation period. So normally at a senior level, you go, you, you join a company, you jump straight in and get your hands dirty, right? So I said, you, I don't send you any emails for at least three months when you join. You go to the factory, you do what I did. You learn the sewing process from the scratch. You run sewing lines, you learn every process, go to the factories. And I think they all really appreciated that when they came. And that was how I built the team today. That's a blend of, outsiders and when people came from outside most of them had no apparel industry experience zero zero specific but they were very strong in sales or they're very strong operations just in a different industry so they had deep knowledge but just not specifically in apparel so that's why i gave them orientation and that to me was key because without having a strong team the crisis that we're going through today we, we won't be going through we won't have 
I, I also, I also love from, from your point, maybe Roger, maybe since you were living so much years in the States, uh, something that I love from the culture in, in the United States is that you can make mistakes and you can try different things. In so many countries, in Latin America and Europe, if you make a mistake, whatever, it's like at the end of the day, you are part of the mistake. And, and it's not like this. I'm trying, I'm experimenting. I'm trying different things. So uh, be able. So I think that what you did in your company, in, your, in the culture, even the company, to try something, be able to try something and be able to accept maybe could be good. Maybe. So it's something that is very important. In technology, we saw it every single day, but should be something that we need to really teach to our kids, to our companies, that people, be, because the more they feel they can try something, they're going to be more um, uh, open to bring ideas, to make something disruptive. If, if they are in a culture where everything needs to be exactly the same, and if you made a mistake, you're going to die, imagine who is going to take risk. And if you don't take risk, at the end of the day, you don't bring really value or make big change. So and it looks like a simple thing, but what you did is something that, in some ways, a huge change in the culture of, of a company. Yeah, it, it was a huge change. Um, the whole executive committee were Hong Kong Chinese people, worked in a single function the whole life. Most of them were in TL, our company, for the whole time. To bring someone that's not a Hong Kong Chinese in was a change. Wow. Okay? But I made sure that they had worked in Asia for many years. So today, the team has Hong Kong Chinese, French, Canadian, American, uh, Australian, Indian, um, I think that's, that's right now the number of nationalities we have at, at the team. And it's very different, completely different. Than, than, and, and, and our thinking is much broader because a lot of these people have worked in multiple continents, you know. It, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, I think, really important to bring different people together because it, I think in any solution, any, any situation, the broader the mindset you have, the more the different varying experiences, the better your decisions will be. Because you basically, nothing is new in the world. Like you don't, you, you basically reinvent things every day. You just don't know you're reinventing. You don't know someone else has done it before. But by already having a head start, already having a head start where people have done similar things or different things, and you're tired, oh, I did that last, that way, last time. How about if we think about it this way? Of course. That is just knowledge. That's it. R it's Roger, did you have, some mentor during your life or someone that in some way you go and talk and discuss and I, 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 I've had a couple. Um, I think in my, in my first career in IT consulting, I had a guy in New York that was my mentor through the years. Okay. Uh, you know, he, he guided me through, he was my first, first real manager. He was my first manager when I became a manager. He was my first boss. So I had different bosses, but until I became a manager, he was my first boss as, and when I was in manager role. And the reason I'm saying that is because the first time I gave anyone a performance review end of the year, I made that person cry. Okay? Mm -hmm. To this day, I still remember. And I went to my boss and I was like, what did I do wrong? And he looked at the review and says, ah, your, your performance review was 100% correct. All the facts were there. But the way you talk about the facts is, is, is the key because getting someone to understand their weaknesses and the areas for improvement, there are real techniques of doing that. So your performance real factually is correct, but delivery completely wrong. Okay. 
and he guided me. He he was really good with people. He explained to me what to, how to think, and he reinstated so my team build. And he continued. To, he I continued to work with him. He just taught me through a lot of things about people. Okay, how to deal with people, how to manage people. He was very smart. Could think about problems too. So I went to him with a lot of issues, it's and he guided me through, through the political. It's incredible the 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 value of of this person that can change and can help us, you know, grow. Uh, and I believe we we also have the the commit, and uh, you know, to do the same with someone else. So I, I think that at some point we need to also uh, try to help. And I think it's something that is very from the inside the entrepreneurs. I don't know. I, I believe I saw so many that when when they ask for help every single door is open. In your case, for example, I called you, I don't know, during these five years, maybe, I don't know, three, four times to, to touch base with you about the fashion, this and that. And, and it's so nice because I think that you enjoy it. So I think that we as entrepreneurs is part of, of what we love, build something. And if I can help someone to build something, I'm so happy, I'm happy as well as, as, I'm, as I'm doing, you know, by myself. So I, Absolutely. Yeah, always, I think it's, I think it's, it's, uh, I always believe in, in giving back and helping. There's, there's no reason not to help. Even if a competitor's in need, you know, we're, we're in this together. We all go through similar things. I have no, no problem helping. I love it. I love it. Okay. I went, uh, and then how, what is the last position that you get in the company? So the current position is I'm the group CEO um, of the company. We've got 25,000 people wow. um, across mainly Asia and Africa. In, in manufacturing. Um, we also have a wholesale business in the US and we got investments in, in, in different brands. So that, that's really the composition I'm holding. Um, and I would say the last two months um, since the COVID crisis started has probably been the, the most challenging environment. I think many of us, have, if not all of us have worked in. Um, in some ways it's been, to, it reminds me of back to the consulting day sometimes where you got deadlines to hit every day, 80 hour weeks. Um, and I hate to say it, 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 it's a terrible position we're in, but in some ways um, I've had a lot of, uh, a lot of help from the team and we were all in this together with a common goal on how to help the company survive through this. And it's been exhilarating at times because everyone's coming together, seeing that energy and that from everyone together and that common, common goal that we want to accomplish together has been really exhilarating. I, I agree with you. I believe that in these times, the companies that really fail are the companies that they are not with a strong culture and they are kind of, you know, super separate. So this is a perfect excuse for, you know what, fuck it, I'm leaving. Or, so but when you have a company yeah. that's part of your family, this is the real value. This is why it's so important to build culture. And so many companies, since they don't see the value in sales in this, the next day, they don't invest on that. But this is one of the most important things for a company to really build a family more than a company. I, I, love, I love your story, brother. So, and this is why, again, I can't believe that I was studying with this fucking CEO of the world. <laughs> okay, Roger, now the, the, the simple question. So, how old are you right now? I am, let me think, I gotta think about that. I'm 47. 47. <laughs> 47. <years> okay. <laughs> yes. um, where, do you remember how old were you when you made your first dollar? Um, I think I was nine years old, maybe. Oh my God. I, 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 what did you sell? I love it. So, I love it. 
um, I was in class. I mean, obviously, I was obviously in primary school at that time. Um, and at that time, in Hong, I was living in Hong Kong. There were a lot of comic books, right? a lot of these Chinese comic books. And I, you take tracing paper and trace characters out of it, and was selling that those tracing the trace characters to people. Don't ask me how much. I can't remember how much it was for, but I just remember that my parents still remind me of that. I, I, I love it. I love it. I, I, every single leader that I've been interviewing, they all start super young. One, six years. No, seven is the youngest, nine, 12, but every single person is looking for, you know, make some money. Um, what is the first entrepreneurial business that you had? Did you have some at the beginning, the university, something that you start with someone or you just focus in a study? No, I have to, I have to admit, um, no, I don't think I've had any real entrepreneur from the beginning. I, I would tell you something. I, I, in my master's, I studied IT and small businesses as one of my projects. And it was so scary that every business owner I met, because these were all small businesses, really was stressed. I mean, they were just, could, had, they put their whole life savings into it. Um, small companies, I'm five people or 10 people. And they were always having sleepless nights worrying about the business um and i just told myself i don't want to be in that position <laughs> if i'm gonna do something i better make sure that you know if i screw it up i still gonna be fine right <laughs> i mean i'm not whether you would say a typical entrepreneur but okay. i would say that i am game for trying things that people haven't tried got it got it okay the, the biggest failure, um, Roger, what is the, 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 the something that in your life you consider a failure? You know, I always felt at school I was never the best. Um, and I was always pushed to be the best and I never was. I, I felt that, you know, you talked about, oh, the university made, you know, what do you, did you do anything entrepreneurial or you're studying all the time? It was none of those. I played all the time, didn't like studying, hated studying books, hated theory. Um, and I felt also failure at, at school and college. Um, I almost had to repeat my year because I, I, I was such a poor student. Wow, incredible. Um, until, until I got my act together and then got lucky because I just happened to have measles during the time of, of one of the, out of my second year exam, which would have counted a lot to my final you know, graduation grade. And because of that, they allowed me to take it with no penalty, retake it with no penalty. And then I got my act together um, and studied and studied and studied for the last year and that was it. But I always felt that um, I wasn't very smart. Um, I still think, don't, I don't think today I'm very smart. I think I'm just fortunate that I've met many people. I've learned a lot from different people to do what I'm doing today. Um, so I felt growing up as a, as a kid, academically, it was not good. I, I didn't do well. I always felt I was a failure, not, not you know, worse than a lot of people. What, the biggest success, brother? Biggest success, I have to tell you, it's not professional life. It, it's my family, right? I know it sounds corny for a lot of people to say that. But if I had to choose, I would say having a loving family. We all, we all go through up and down, right? Every family does. Every marriage does. But having a family, and, 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 and it tells in times like this, when you're locked down together and that you actually survive together and actually fine together and happy to be together, happy to spend this quiet time together, it, it just shows that, you know, it, it's, it's worth it. I agree 100%. Um, uh, Roger, do you have an amount of money that you have in mind to stop working or you want to keep working all your life? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm laughing because I did have that amount of money, you know. I, okay. I had that amount of money, and I told my 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 own current owner, right, the owner of the company I'm in today, probably ten years ago, what my goal was, and that number keeps changing higher and higher. I I think <laughs> the the irony is this, okay. The irony is the more money you have, the more money you spend. That's me, okay. Some people really save a lot. The more money I have, the more money I spend, right? So the more success I have in business, the more compensation I get, the more money I spend. And you can get used to that lifestyle, okay? So that's why your, your retirement bar gets higher and higher. But in reality, do I think about money? 99% of the time I don't. I, I think about the work and how much, what I want to do next in terms of that. And I don't think I'll ever retire, retire. I think I would take a different pace in the future. Um, I love being in different companies. So the, the role I've been in, I've been able to invest in different companies, learn from different things. I want to do that. I want to be in a position I can commit to continue doing that in the future. It doesn't matter when I'm 60, 70, or 80 years old. I agree because at the end, it's fun. These, these are a hobby. So making business is a hobby. I, I'm telling you, I, I, I really believe, and I tell a lot of people, money does not bring happiness. I agree. Right? That's number one. You need a basic amount of money to survive and everything above that is, it, it is, is just fortunate, but you don't need it. If you lose it tomorrow, you'll still be fine. As long as you have your basic necessity, which is basic place to live, can buy food, can send your kids to school. And a lot of places schooling is, is, is free or low cost, right? That's basic, everyone needs that. And unfortunately not everyone can have that. But once you get above that, anything else is, is extra. And when you have too much, people start fighting and that to me is not worth it. So you don't need to be billionaires. I think what you have is today, you got to be content what you have. Mr. Royer, the best advice that someone give you? Never stop learning. What, what? Never stop learning. Beautiful. Um, do you have an inspiration or a legend, someone that inspire you? You know, some people have asked me that in the past. I, I can't think of a specific person, but I can think of components of people um, that I love. I, I love Steve Jobs' vision that he, he knew that we needed an iPod or an iPhone way before we ever thought we needed it. And then having a camera and a phone, I never thought I needed a camera and a phone. And I have my own camera. Why do not I need a camera and a phone? And now we use it for taking notes, for reminding. I mean, it's just having a person with a vision, knowing that you need it before you need it, is just amazing, right? So whenever we work, we're trying to think, what does the customer need in the future that they don't know today in our product? We Steve's always, and, and Steve was just amazing in that. Um, I guess my father who taught me never stop learning, right? I think that, that is key. Um, and just different and then the rest is just different things i read and different things i see so not no one specifically got it hey, how many days do you make exercise <laughs> in the lockdown i haven't done any exercise but you typically tennis, I was, you were playing tennis before no i, I was until now when i'm in singapore for the last six weeks we've been in lockdown exactly. so we can't go out to, to play tennis um, normally, okay, this, this thing, normally if I'm in Hong Kong, where I'm normally based, um, I would play tennis three times a week, um, go spinning three times a week. So I'll probably do five or six days a week of exercise, right, for an hour. Um, the problem is that I travel a lot. So typically at least two, if not three weeks of the, of the month, I'm traveling on the road. And when I'm on the road, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, exercise. Um, I can, but I, I just don't. It is complicated. 
I just bought some uh, elastics in the, during yeah. the pandemic, yeah. and I have in mind, you know what? I also fly, I have a lot of flights, and I think it's something you can take in the bag, and maybe at least I'm gonna do the, the I'm gonna give it a try, and, and yeah. it's super small, so maybe you can use it. Okay, at what time uh, do you do you eat um, healthy or not? Uh, if, you, if you can see my weight, you can tell I'm, I'm overweight. Uh, do I eat healthy? No. Um, I, I, I won't say I'm a connoisseur in food, but I love sweet stuff. So I love my chocolates. I love desserts. And that's where you get the weight you gain. And I don't do enough exercise in return to offset. Um, but um, so I won't, say, I won't say I eat very healthy. No. Okay. Okay. Uh, at what time are you going, 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 are you going to bed? Uh, quite early. Um, I try and get into bed by 10 and I sleep before 11. Um, and then I wake up typically 6 in the morning, 6.30. I need my sleep. I, cannot, I don't function well without sleep. And some people can do it three, four hours, which I have no idea how to do it. I need seven to eight minimum. Uh, you ha have no idea how many leaders are exactly like you. I I I'm like I'm the same. I, I also also need to go early to sleep, and I love to wake up super early. But I, I have my hours, so I, I I'm exactly like you. Okay, um, the best book. If you need to give an advice to the people that is listening, uh, just one book. What is the book that you will give as advice? I have to be honest, I don't have a specific book. Um, I read a lot of books and I'll start but never finish. Uh, I have to tell you. Um, I, I, I really, the most stuff, mo most of what I read is really on the internet. It, it's, it's the news. It's both out industry news, outside industries, business week. I read a lot on the internet, more than I read specific books. Um, mm -hmm. I only read specific books when, I, when I've cleared all my emails, which is almost never. And I think I have a long flight of 10 hours and I can just sit down and read. Which so is you're more about there. news. You're, you're more about uh, having, okay, okay. What is happening? Yeah. Uh, the exactly. last thing. What's happening, living to, listening to the podcast. Uh, I, I think it's just, if I can listen to a podcast for one hour and get one tidbit out, that's a win for me. Okay. Like so much it. more, much more of that reading lots of different things. I, I think the key is, you know, I tell a lot of people, I'm no smarter than, than, people in my company but I'm in a position that I have the opportunity to see and hear from a, a wider range of resources because of my role than they are and the goal is to connect all the different disparate points and come up with something that that to me is, is my role Fantastic. And the last question, Roger, uh, an advice for people in this day of pandemic, what is your advice during these days? We're living in un unprecedented times uh, in an environment that um, we've never experienced before at this length of time. I would say, number one, never give up. Just, you know, things will always work out for the better in the long term. You may not see it today, whether you're financially strapped, whether you have marital issues, whether you've got career issues, you know, things will always work for, for best. We will, we will all get through this. Human beings are resilient and we'll come out the other side. So don't give up hope, okay? Make the best of what we can today and look forward, okay? This is not gonna be the final thing that's gonna challenge us in life. We're gonna have more. So do that. And the other thing I would say is stay connected with friends, stay connected with colleagues. Um, you know, we've gone through this, 
all working in different locations, different offices around the world. We were not together in a conference room talking about how to handle this. And the technology today is so, so easy to use with Zoom or WebEx or whatever platform you're on. And I always tell people, turn on your camera. Now, I know it gets long if you're on 10 hours a day in the camera, it gets old, it gets tiring. But just turn on your camera for a while so we can see each other, just like we're here face to face. You know, talking to you, you're, you're in Miami, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm in Singapore right now. It's no difference than us being in Harvard together. But because we already had that bond, it's different. Because we established a bond, physical bond, in person. Now we're virtual. It's no problem. And I think I that, that's very important. Roger, I love you, my friend. Be safe. Thank you again for this time. Today's Saturday, 8 p.m. What time is there? Sunday. Sunday morning, 8.40 now. 8.40 so, p.m. And I want to put very clear that you take the weekend to give this message to the people. So really love you, brother. Thank you very much. Um, hope to see you soon here, there, or whatever, okay? Thank you. Welcome. Thank you, Welcome my friend. Thank you for having me.